The presenting partner of Sober Stories is Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits. That's Liars as an L-Y-R-E, like the Australian lyre bird, which can mimic just about any sound. Like that fancy Aussie bird, Liars was created to replicate and replicate well as many different alcoholic spirits as possible, allowing us to drink our way. Now that the sun is shining and the birds are chirping, plan ahead for your next spring barbecue by packing a cooler of spectacularly crafted non-alcoholic cocktails to have in hand when they ask you what you'd like to drink. Liars has your sunshine days covered with their pre-mixed beverage line. They're easy, festive, and made for the season. With five different opportunities for celebration, the Classico's our favorite, Liars canned selections are the Sober Stories team's go-to for fresh alcoholic-free sips. Head over to Liars.com and use code SOBERSTORIES1010, that's the number 10, the word 10, for 10% off your purchase. Liars gives you the freedom to drink your way, to not just provide an alternative to those who don't wish to imbibe alcohol, but to ensure that everyone can enjoy the mirth and the merriment of a soiree or shindig. Welcome to Sober Stories, a podcast dedicated to the power and change that can come from really, really great storytelling. We believe that stories are a massively transformational medium. When we can see ourselves in someone's story, when we share our own story, that's when the magic happens. Here, we tell stories of folks all across the sober spectrum with hope, honesty, inspiration, and probably a few sparkling water jokes. I'm your host, Beth Bowen, and it's a huge honor to be Chief Story Steward around here. With our guests, we pull back the curtain on the good, the bad, and sometimes the downright ugly of what it looks like to ditch the booze, changing the world one podcast episode at a time. Y'all ready? Hey, hey, party people. Welcome back to another episode of our little storytelling show. I want to dive right into this conversation with Jordan Granger because it's one I'm so excited to bring to Sober Stories. I felt a little bit like a fangirl when I got to sit down with her. I'm just one of the 44,000 people who follow her Sober Curious journey on TikTok. And I'll tell you, she's just as nice in real life as she seems online. Jordan Granger is a 23-year-old recent college grad who shares all about her Sober Curious journey on her TikTok account. She recently did a 100-day alcohol-free challenge and now talks about how she's rethinking alcohol post-challenge and beyond. We talked about a lot of interesting things, especially the way younger generations are looking at alcohol and their drinking patterns. After you give today's episode a listen, tag Jordan and let us know what your biggest takeaway was. Here we go. All right, Sober Stories family, I am really excited to have this conversation with Jordan Granger because I feel like I know her already and I don't, which is the odd... um, world we live in with TikTok. But Jordan, thank you so much for joining us on the Sober Stories podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been it's been a crazy journey and it's really fun to be able to share my story with other people in the hopes that other people, you know, resonate with it. Yeah. And you know, if that is what we're all about. We're about sharing stories that are different because there are a thousand different ways to do this and a thousand different ways to change your relationship with alcohol. And we're used to just hearing one. So I'm really mm-hmm. excited to talk about your story today. But before we dig into the juicy parts, just give our listeners kind of the cliff notes of you, who you are, where you are, who you do life with, what your your kind of high notes are. Yeah. So um, my name is Jordan Grager. I live in Seattle right now. In my corporate job, I work in marketing at a tech company. Um, and I live with my dog. She's a great Dane puppy but I call her my mini Dane because she uh, is pretty very small for a great Dane. And then I live with my boyfriend up here as well. And Seattle's great. We are just getting into summer, which is like Mm. the time that Seattle is great. So that's very nice. And yeah, I started posting TikToks um, in January when I decided to take a break from drinking and a couple of them completely blew up. And I found an incredible community of people who felt the same way that I did around alcohol. And that's how I kind of ended up here. Yeah. TikTok is wild, man. I was a long time lurker. Like I would just consume <laughs> TikTok for a long time because I felt so intimidated by it. But then like you start making videos and you're like, oh wait, this is the easiest thing on the planet. And it's just very fun and creative. And your for you page just like gets you so accurately. And I, mm-hmm. I like want to know how their algorithm works because it's a little alarming, but I don't think I knew you were in Seattle. It is so beautiful there this time of year. Yeah, it's really incredible. Um, I actually, I graduated in the pandemic. So mm. I was in LA in 2020. And then um, I actually, my sister and her fiance live in Hawaii and I grew up in mm-hmm. Hawaii. And mm. so we quarantined for a while in Hawaii and my boyfriend he was also born and raised in Hawaii. Um, and so we all quarantined in Hawaii together. So I was in Hawaii for a little bit. And then once things started, I won't say returning to normal, but yeah. opening up a little bit more, 
um, I came back and when I started work, I was based mm. out of Seattle. So we came and now now I'm in Seattle and I love it up here. It's great. Yeah, I've got some family up there and we always try to say like, don't tell anyone it's actually not as rainy as they think it is. <laughs> because Seattle in the spring is like the per- – it's like 70 degrees, sunny, blue skies. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Well, give us the story of you and alcohol and I'll leave that pretty open-ended, but I think – to, to preface all of this, you know, we're here to talk about sober curiosity. So give us, mm-hmm. give us the rundown. Yeah. So it's honestly, I'll give you a very high level rundown because I think there's a lot that has gone into it. Like looking back in my history with alcohol, um, it's like a, a definitely a long history. Mm-hmm. So starting with the fact that my mom and dad both don't drink. Mm-hmm. My mom at around my age just realized it wasn't really serving her and cut Mm -hmm. it out of her life. And on both sides of my family, there's addiction. Mm -hmm. And then my dad, he, and he went to AA and went to rehab when my sister and I were really young. So Mm -hmm. I think he's now 30 years sober. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I grew up in an alcohol free household and Mm -hmm. my parents didn't drink, which I have a lot of thoughts on how that was for (laughs) me, but it definitely exposed me to the possibility of being alcohol free. And yeah. I think it it became a topic of conversation. Like sobriety became a topic of conversation much younger for me than I think mm-hmm. it did for most people. Because like, for example, when I was in high school and I like got in trouble because they figured they I got caught drinking, they like would bring up kind of their sobriety and like it would mm-hmm. be a part of the conversation. So that's how I was like first kind of exposed to sobriety. Like I just grew up around it. Mm. And then my drinking was, I would say, well, I lived in Hawaii, which is a very small community. And anyone who's from a small town will know that I think you're exposed to things much younger than if you're like, I don't know, maybe if you're living in a city, it's the same thing. But we were exposed to like alcohol and drug use much younger because the community is so small that you're hanging out with older people all the time. So like mm. everyone, it's just kind of like a miss. Like once you're like 14, like your friend group is like 14 to like 18 and whoever mm. is around. And so, okay. so I started, like I had my first drink when I was like 13, which seems really young, but, and it totally was like looking back, I'm like, wow, I was so dumb and young, <laughs> but. Well, you're 13, um, like how, not yeah, dumb, exactly. just uninformed. <laughs> just 13. Yeah, just 13. Um, Yeah. And so I, but it wasn't like excessive or anything. I think I had like, I probably, but between the time I was like 14 and like 17, I drank like a handful of times. Mm -hmm. And it was like very like what you would do in your teens, like sneak out and like have like one single water bottle of vodka with your friends (laughs) and like try and Why did we all do that? Like (laughs) Like literally. somewhere. The the single water bottle, clear water bottle of vodka. Why? Yeah. That I like bought from my, I remember this so clearly. I brought it from my older one of my friend's older brothers mm-hmm. and he gave us like a small Dasani water bottle of vodka, <laughs> which I am sure he watered down and he charged yeah. us $40. Oh and I God. at the time was like, of course that's what it costs. And yeah. now I'm like, wait yeah. a second. <laughs> like doing yeah. math on that. Yeah. So that's how uninformed we were clearly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And then it was like, I don't know, it was very like typical high school situation. And then When I was in college, I think that's where it started to get really problematic. And Mm. I went to a giant party school. I went to USC. I loved my school, but I was in Greek life and Mm. it was a gigantic party school. And it's just what you did was you drank all the time. And it was Mm -hmm. it was like truly all the time. Like we had wine Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday. We'd have an event on Friday. We'd have game days on Saturday. Like it was constant. And it was just very unhealthy. And Mm. I think you rationalize it. And honestly, I have mixed thoughts on like if I would have done it any differently, but you rationalize it because it's what everyone's doing. And I also Mm. have a lot of mental health issues. Like I struggle with depression and I have ADHD. Mm. And one of the big things for mental health is like being a strong part of a community and my community was Greek life and they were partying. And so it was kind of this like double-edged sword of like, I know alcohol isn't helping my mental health, but I also know that isolating myself from my community won't help my mental health either. And so Mm. it was like 
like I was aware that I was like, this isn't helping me and I'm yeah. unhappy, but I don't know how to fix it. Right. Um, and you're 22. And, like who does yeah. when they're, they're that young? Exactly. So I, so, and it was kind of the first time I was freely exposed to alcohol because mm. I would get in trouble obviously when I was in like high school and my parents were very strict and I lived in an alcohol free household and like they, I got away with nothing. And yeah. <laughs> so it was the first time I also was like, I could do whatever I wanted and that was fun. Mm. And like, I, and I won't villainize alcohol. Like it was fun. And I, there were yeah. times where it was totally fun, but it just was making me miserable. And I knew that. And mm. so I went, got through college, graduated in a, in a pandemic and mm. my kind of my thinking when I was in college was like, okay, I know this is bad. I know this is problematic. I know what my family history is, but I'm going to get through college and like, see how I am as an adult. Like, mm. that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was a good thought. Yeah, exactly. And so I got through college and graduated in a pandemic, which I think was so weird, especially for drinking habits, because I had nothing like mm. I had no responsibility. I was just like, okay, I'm like, I, and I will say I had a very privileged quarantine situation. I was with my boyfriend, my sister, who's like my best friend and my sister's fiance, who's my boyfriend's best friend because oh, he and I met <laughs> through them. Mm. So we had like a really great time and we were in Hawaii. And so like, it was really yeah. nice, but it still was just like, I didn't have work yet. I didn't have school. I was really sad because of like, I was mourning the loss of college and all these mm. things that like I like missed out on because of my second semester senior year. And like a lot of people felt it was just kind of like, okay, I guess like we're going to make this cute cocktail I found on TikTok and like, mm. we're going to have margaritas with dinner and we're going to have sangria because we're bored and it's something to <laughs> make. And like, it's just kind of was this like constant but it wasn't ever like problematic in the way it was in college. It it was it's problematic in a different way, I'll say that. Mm -hmm. And then it just got to the point where I was like, I am hating this. And like I would go out with my friends once things got a little bit more normal. And I would be like, okay, I'm gonna set a boundary for my own self. Like nothing like I wanna be home by midnight. Mm -hmm. And then I just wouldn't. And mm -hmm. it would only happen. I would I'm now. I guess I fast forwarded a little bit, but now I'm like working <laughs> yeah. and it would only happen. I would only really have like big nights out like once a month, but every time I had a big night out once a month, it would like send me into a hangover spiral. I would like mm. really cross my own personal boundaries. And I was just like, this is not serving me at all. So in my head, I was um, like very well aware of the fact that I wanted something else and I wanted a mm. different relationship, but, and we can get into this more, but like my stubbornness and growing up in an alcohol-free household mm. with the AA mindset that I was exposed to, that did not sound like what I needed and what I wanted. Mm. And so because that, of the knowledge that I had, I was like, well, those are the two options. You either drink yeah. or you go to AA. And like, mm -hmm. I don't want to go to AA. That doesn't seem like what's right for me. So I'm going to keep drinking. And mm. I don't know. I was like, I can't keep doing this. So eventually... I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about the books that were curious. And I was like, oh, that sounds exactly how I feel. And these people are talking about it in the way that I feel and, and I'm talking about it and or thinking about it. And like, so then I started like fo following content creators and I actually followed a lot of sober content, like fully sober content creators. Mm -hmm. And I would like kind of deep stalk them like <laughs> like like being the creeper on TikTok like early mm -hmm. TikTok times but I never really did anything about it I was just interesting but their content started just everyone's content started to resonate with me like more and more and I was like oh this is like a possibility like this is a mm. thing that could be done and there's a range and it doesn't have to be drinker and non-drinker it doesn't have yeah. to be like you go to AA or you keep drinking. I don't know. There's kind of a spectrum. And I knew I fell s somewhere in that spectrum. So I read the book, Sober Curious. And I was like, yes, <laughs> this is me. And then um, she has a 100-day Sober Curious challenge. And mm -hmm. I had done in the past, like I had done Whole30 and you can't drink for 30 days on Whole30. I had done like a dry January. And so I had taken like breaks. I think the longest break I took from drinking was like six weeks. Mm -hmm. But 
I knew I needed more time than that to really understand and evaluate like the role it was playing in my life. Like I can shift my lifestyle in 30 days and like just get the other get out the other end and it'll be fine. Yeah. Like hide from my friends basically. Totally. For well, yeah, and- it's like you said that you were having those big nights out once a month. Like you can, Yeah, exactly. You can change it's like that. I'll skip that one and then mm-hmm. I and then I don't drink wine like mm-hmm. on nights after work. And so I was like, I need to do something more. Six months seemed like too much. It's my sister's wedding year. Her wedding is in a few weeks. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to do this hundred days. This is perfect. And I actually didn't tell anyone until I committed to it because I knew Mm -hmm. I wanted it. I knew what my parents would say, which is yes, but I didn't want it to be their decision. (laughs) And I knew what my boyfriend would say, which was also, yes, he's very supportive of this. And I was like, this needs to be my decision. And so I literally, the day that I started, I was like, I'm taking a hundred days off from drinking, like starting right now. Mm-hmm. And it was like two days after new year's and new year's, like a lot of people are like, Oh, it's cause you had a crazy new year's. And it mm-hmm. actually wasn't, I had a really pleasant new year's. And it was like one of those nights that I would qualify as like a good drinking night. Like I didn't mm-hmm. have a crippling hangover. Nothing really went wrong. And for me, that was better because I yeah didn't go into the sobriety with like the guilt associated with a specific right. event. Um, there's Still guilt associated conscious. with a lot of events. Yeah. It was very much like I'm making this decision, not based on one thing, like based mm-hmm. on like the accumulation of a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's how I started my hundred days. And then now I just finished my hundred days uh, a couple weeks ago, I guess. And I've done a lot since then. I went to my sister's bachelorette party. I went to stagecoach. I went to Tulum with my family and I barely drank at any of them. Um, at my sister's bachelorette party, I got wine tastings and I would sip the wine mm-hmm. and then dump it in everyone else's glasses. And then at in Mexico, I had a margarita kind of, I mean, being sober curious is like kind of about like trying and seeing where mm-hmm. you fall. And so I had a margarita and honestly, I was like, meh could have gone without it. Like it was fine. It was like Mm -hmm. just as good as the mocktails I was having and it didn't really do anything. So there's that. And then like I got a beer at Stagecoach and then I was like, oh, this got warm really fast and I don't really want this (laughs) and gave it to my boyfriend. (laughs) And so it's I've now I'm at this point where I have the opportunity to drink, but I'm choosing consciously not to. Mm. Um, so that's kind of where I am now. I know that was so long winded, but no, <laughs> I guess like I, it was leave, a long story. Yeah. I like to leave these open ended because I think there's so much that goes into any version of whatever we're doing here because I mean, you started in your childhood and that's it. Like you were around people who didn't drink one through the 12 steps and addiction and, and that side of things. And then one through a more conscious decision that like, this just doesn't feel good. And like that mm-hmm. impacts everything else. You know, we have this idea of like, I don't know if this is true for you, but sometimes when my folks didn't really drink when I grew up either, my mom didn't drink because mm-hmm. it made her stomach hurt. And my dad would like drink a beer or two at night, but it like just wasn't a thing. And so for me, it was like, I like ricocheted to the other side of that when I went to college. And it's like, it all matters what we have seen when we were younger, what we experienced, what sort of stories we had around it, what sort of ideas and culture that has been created about alcohol in our lives and our reaction to that idea and culture. So I always leave it open-ended. And I think that it gives us so much to start with, but, you know, I think, one of the things that drew me so much to your story and the way you talk about this is like when you share this on TikTok, like you're very frank about it. You're like, I don't know what my end goal is here. I don't know. Well, I know a hundred days is my end goal, but I don't know past mm-hmm. that what this looks like for me, but I'm here to learn as much as I can. I'm here to get information and gather data and see actually how I really feel about this. And I saw the one about the the wine tasting and it made me laugh because I was like, oh, if I were to take a sip of the wine, then I would drink all of the wine in yeah. the whole winery. Like <laughs> that wouldn't <laughs> that wouldn't work for me. But the mm-hmm. this idea of like it is a spectrum and it's we have so many different experiences with this and there can be people in this middle area who are like, this isn't full blown addiction, but this is like, this isn't working for me. This is making me feel bad. This is making me feel sluggish. I don't feel like I have control over this all the way to, you know, people like our moms who are just like this. I don't like this. I'm not going to do it. I'm like, cool mom. Like, 
that'd be neat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, I can actually add something to what you were saying. Um, in terms of like the the wine tasting and I think the belief on addiction, I I don't know enough because of my experience is limited because I'm young. Mm-hmm. On like what yeah, how old are not. you? For, for I'm 23. Yeah. So I'm very young. So I don't know if I, I would say if I continued drinking on the path that I was on, mm. I would have gone to a rehab facility and I would mm. have quit drinking in that way. Mm. Caveat being there is that weird time where everyone excuses behavior because you're young. Mm. And so because I didn't, I was like, this is a problem and I need to change something. I didn't get to the point where it was like, oh, now you're mm. older and this behavior is not appropriate anymore. So now you need help. And I think that is honestly part a big part of the reason I wanted to share because mm-hmm. it's like, I can't say like, I, I don't think, and I'm not, I don't think I come off this way, but like, I don't think I'm above people with addiction. I don't think I've like beat addiction in any way. I think I was well on the way. And I think Mm. our understanding of addiction more and more is going to come out about our understanding of addiction on like what causes it. And like there is, I mean, it is alcoholic and alcoholism is an evolving definition. Mm -hmm. Like there has not been a stable definition for it. So it's like, you know, you could look at me and be like, look, dad, AA, check the box, like problematic drinking, check the box. Like I checked the boxes, Mm. but I think I'm at that weird point where it's like, but also I was in college and Mm. that's just what everyone does. So it was interesting. And I think that that's why I share because I'm like, I think the fact that I am changing my habits at this age Mm -hmm. is what maybe is going to prevent me from needing that type of support in the future. And maybe by sharing, I can like also get other people there. But yeah, I always have to put disclaimers like this is does not support people with alcohol abuse disorder. And like Mm -hmm. my, this is my experience. And I try very hard to use like only I and me language on my Mm posts so that it's not like prescriptive to anyone else. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And I, and, and so what we, we call that like in the industry is like, we would call you an early exiter. You took the early exit. You said, I see where this road goes. I'm going to go this way now before I get to that point. And I mean, I feel like every single person I know who eventually like fully quits drinking, like has a rock bottom or doesn't have a rock bottom, but just had a really bad experience with it is like, man, I wish I had stopped earlier. I wish I had Mm -hmm put the brakes on. I wish I had looked at this differently. I wish I had experienced this differently earlier. So I think that that's one of the things that's so powerful about what you share. And and to back up with the 100-Day Challenge and the Sober Curious book, that's Ruby Warrington. Yeah. Um, for those who yes. are not familiar with Ruby's work, we're actually having her on the podcast in a couple of weeks. So, I love her. Yeah, she's wonderful. So you know, I think that we're getting like this whole new language around it too. Because when I quit drinking in 2017, sober, nobody was talking about sober curiosity. Mm-hmm. Nobody was, there wasn't a word that anybody used. It wasn't a phrase that anybody used. And just like you said, like we understand the clinical definition of alcohol use disorder, but this idea of addiction and alcoholic and all of these labels, they're really in flux right now. And we're really changing our understanding of what it means, what the markers are, when you have to exit. And I think that's a big one. It's like mm-hmm. so much of what we knew about alcohol use disorder and and before when it was like more referred regularly as alcoholism is like you get there when you hit rock bottom, like you got to hit rock bottom so that then you can exit and then you can have this life-changing experience. But what I hear from people like you and I, what, what was the phrase? They're they're calling it the damp lifestyle on TikTok too. And I'm like, this is so funny. We're like getting a whole new language because nobody on sober Instagram is calling it damp lifestyle. Like that is Mm -hmm. like a Gen Z thing on TikTok. So (laughs) tell me about what you just like what data you gathered, what information did you gather about how you feel with it, how you feel without it? Yeah. So, um, oh, that's such a good question. And I think one thing people really want all the time is for, like, I find with the way that people ask me questions is for me to tell them whether they need to stop, which Mm, I always think mm -hmm. is funny. And and that reminds me of what you were saying. Like people are always wanting to understand what are the, like, what's the code to like 
am I an alcoholic? Yeah. Um, and I think and especially people my age. Yeah. Everyone's done that Google too. Like, am I an alcoholic? And yeah. like everything you find <laughs> on the internet will say either, yes, you absolutely are or no, it's fine. Like or no, you can, yeah, you totally. can find any answer that you're looking for. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's what's so interesting. So I always say it's very personal, but mm-hmm. for me, one a big thing, a big, huge, huge thing for me is mental health. And like mm-hmm. originally when I started posting on TikTok, I was going to post about mental health, but I think you can't have this conversation without talking about mental health. And I couldn't have the mental health conversation without talking about the way alcohol played a role into it. Mm. And so it kind of ended up leaning more into alcohol. But so for me, I I've had clinical depression for a very long time. I knew alcohol wasn't doing anything for my depression and I was just getting frustrated Mm. with my mental health. And I was like, Hey, I know that this is a clear thing that will happen. And then I think another one, which I mentioned earlier, is like the broken promises to myself Mm. to any level. So I also uh, recently quit nicotine. I was one of the Gen Z millennial generation who got sucked in by Juul and then was Mm. addicted to nicotine that way, Mm. which was a huge part of party culture at my school. And like, it's so crazy to me. Yeah, it was, it's really horrible. And like, I hate that company and I hate what they're Mm. doing because they're, it's, getting so many young people addicted who I would have never smoked a cigarette. Like it was, it's disgusting to me. And Mm. I have, it's funny. I always say I have, I started smoking it because of my stupid ex, one of my stupid ex boyfriends. Mm. (laughs) I'm like, wow, what a like lasting thing. Yeah. (laughs) Stupid ex boyfriend. (laughs) But that was a big one was like, I would quit. But then the second I had a drink, I would Mm. want to smoke. And Mm -hmm. so that was one of the promises that I was constantly breaking to myself that I was getting very frustrated with. Um, another one was just like personal curfews. And I would be like, oh, I'm, you know, I have something to do tomorrow. I don't really want to be hungover and really tired. So I want to be home by 1030. And then I would come home at 1130. And like nothing was like life ruining. I think mm-hmm. the life ruining days of my drinking stayed in college. Mm-hmm. I think there was times where I did really stupid, horrible things because I was in college and, mm-hmm. and it's normalized and everyone says yeah. it's fine. We all black out, like right. everyone blacks out. So I did like leave those behind, which kind of furthered this narrative in my head that like, oh, as I grow up, it's going to change. Mm. But yeah, I think the promises, the mental health, and then I just, I mean, I loved it and I hated it and it mm. felt like a toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. And I actually, Millie Gooch, um, mm-hmm. if you- I love Millie. I know. She's awesome. So she did Sober Girl Society and her, I read her book recently and she was saying like, no, I don't miss it. It feels like a toxic ex. And I think that's such a great way of talking yeah. about it and and how you feel looking back at it. Like mm. that is how it feels. Like there is a pang of nostalgia for like mm. what was, but mm-hmm. you also can recognize everything that was terrible about it. But that's how it felt. It was just like, I loved partying. I loved getting a glass of wine after work. Like I, it's like, yeah, I'm not going to say like, oh, I I was miserable the whole time and it was terrible and all Mm. things were bad. But the things that I hated started to outweigh the positives, like Mm. my hangovers. Another thing, which I don't know, everyone says this happens with age, but I'm like, I'm still pretty young, but maybe it happens (laughs) with years drinking was my hangovers would last like multiple days. Mm. And so even if I had that one day a month, Mm-hmm. it would last me four days and my hangovers were all mental health related. So mm. I would go into severe anxiety spirals. I would have major depression. Like sometimes it would trickle into suicidal thoughts and mm. like, it was just terrible. Mm. And like, I would text my friends and they'd be like, yeah, everyone gets anxious. And I was like, well, you guys are getting out of bed. So I feel like whatever is happening to you is different than what's happening to me because I can't even talk to my live-in boyfriend right now. Like Mm. I can't even look at him. I have to, and and it wouldn't even be in response to like something horrible happening. It just kind Mm -hmm. of became my body's default response to any amount Mm. of like level of binge drinking like it wouldn't happen with Mm. like two drinks but if I had like three or more it would be like that and so then that was kind of the next the final thing is I was just like I can't I I love my job too I can't Mm. be miserable for half of my week and like yeah 
So that, that was a lot of it. Um, and then another thing was that I wanted to do more. I really wanted to start doing entrepreneurial things. I wanted to start mm-hmm. building hobbies back into my life. And I knew that the thing that was getting away of all of that was the time I spent drinking and like mm-hmm. the amount of energy I spent, even if it was just a glass of wine, it's like, okay, I have a glass of wine after work and then that's my work. I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. Like, so that was kind of on the positive side of it. That was another thing that like pushed me to do this reevaluating. And then, Hmm. yeah, I think just the more I listened to sober curious content, I was like, this is for me. Like, this is what I need to do. Ever wake up in the morning determined that today is the day you quit drinking only to find yourself on the hunt for last minute wine by 5 p.m.? Not only is this such a common experience, it's actually really rooted in neuroscience and physiology, which is why I created The Booze Breakup, a program built to help you ditch alcohol in a way that feels good and actually sticks. It's jam-packed with community tools, theories, and resources from the last 10 years I've worked in the mental health field, combined with my nearly five years alcohol-free. If you're ready to get off the hamster wheel of forever day ones, you can save $50 off The Booze Breakup with code SOBERSTORIES at theboozebreakup.com. You know, it's so interesting. We've done, you know, a couple, about a dozen episodes now, and I've had to put a content warning on the beginning of a very large percentage of them about suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. And and I'm starting, like, I wish, wish we had better data on this, but I'm starting to realize just through these conversations, like, how common it is to have that internal mental health, internal dialogue, to have those thought processes that are so harmful and so toxic and and truly dangerous Mm -hmm. because of the way that alcohol starts to impact our brain chemistry and our mental health. And one of the things that I love that you have been sharing on some of your TikToks is about like the neurochemistry. And I'm like, Jordan's going to change Gen Z's life because, (laughs) because once you understand how this is working with like dopamine and all of the neurochemistry and how it impacts mental health, like once you start to know those things, you really truly can't unknow it. We can know like passively that alcohol is not good for our mental health or alcohol makes us more anxious. But when we start to connect the dots and say, this is how this is actually working in my brain. And these thoughts that I'm having are a lot more universal than I realize. It's not just me. It's not just something's wrong with me. It's like, this is a pattern that is happening to a lot of people and it makes sense with the way it works with our neurochemistry. So what is like the response from people when you share something like that? So I actually honestly haven't talked much about the suicidal thoughts on TikTok, mainly because Mm -hmm. of the way I'm worried that TikTok is going to start banning my content (laughs) if I do. Yeah, yeah. I, I've kind of hinted at it. But even even like the neurochemistry stuff, yeah. like what, what do people say about that? People are obsessed with it. Like I think that's what people <laughs> are interested in. And my therapist tells me that I am a difficult client because I over-intellectualize my problems. So that's like always <laughs> been a thing for me. Like I Perfect. read all of the self-help books. I want it. I'm obsessed with psych. I don't know why I didn't study psych in college. Hmm. I, I want to know the inner makings of my brain because I mean like you said it can be life-changing and I had I had depression and I had suicidal thoughts in high school and so I think for so long it feels like personal and it feels like if I'm thinking this I don't know it's so weird it's such a weird thing Mm. to do it's like how am I feeling this way like it feels like there's like a bully in your brain and then you learn that it's literally there's chemistry behind it and I think that Mm -hmm. was kind of freeing of like say with anxiety spirals, there's chemistry behind it. And so it's like, if you can rationalize it in that way, there's a level of freedom that comes with like being able to rise above those thoughts and those Mm. thought patterns. So Mm -hmm. that's how it like my Mm -hmm. interest in that started. And then the, so the video that blew up that I think like kind of got me famous and got my content famous was me talking about the way that your body releases endorphins and dopamine and also suppresses your free fr- prefrontal cortex when you drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. So your mm-hmm. like decision making is down and you're like yep. riding this dopamine high. Yep. And your body is like this is dangerous and so it reacts by counteracting all of those things mm-hmm. um which is releasing dynorphins. And then eventually your body starts to predict the behavior and it'll just release dynorphins without mm. actually you aren't getting the extra hit of artificial dopamine through alcohol. And so you're just getting the depressant. And I think that's where people can get into that, which was one thing I did after work wine. Mm -hmm. 
um, which is like you feel down and you just train your body that the fix to being down is the wine. And it's all very subtle and it's very subconscious. But I do think when you're go when you have that drinking habit, if you hear the science behind it, you're like, oh yeah, that is what's happening. Because yeah. a lot of people say like, oh, I don't drink to to suppress my depression or I don't drink to solve right. my problems. Like, right. that's not me. But I think right. when you start pointing out how nuanced it is and how tiny and mm-hmm. subtle it is, it's not like, oh, you get in a fight with your boyfriend and you're sad. So you run to the kitchen and chug a right. bottle of wine. Like that's not what it looks like. It looks like just a subtle reaction to the changes in your body's energy. And like, mm. and I think that's so happy hour, like that there's an entire yeah. hour yeah. based on that. So I think it kind of, like you said, like pointed out something that people knew, but it like mm. put the science behind it. And so I would say people's reactions, I mean, I try to focus on the positive. So the positive people like- <laughs> Yeah, you do exist on the internet. So. Yeah. So people it's, like- It's a mixed bag. Love it. And there's a lot of people, like I would say a lot of people who are in college who are like, this makes so much sense. And mm. um, who are younger, who are like, I feel this so- extremely with the way Mm. drinking culture is especially with like young corporate life like there's even like once you graduate college it's just like a lot of things centered around drinking and And it feels glamorous and Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but the other comments I get are one people are like this is obvious and then other people are like so am I special because my brain doesn't do this and I'm always like no your brain is doing it you're just like not feeling it the same like yeah oh that's that that bothers me. Yeah. There's <laughs> you're 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 not special jam. Yeah, literally. So one, you know, and I think that when you talk about the nuance, when we think about the way alcohol interacts with our bodies and we think about a physical dependence to alcohol, we picture like the dude under a bridge with the 40 in a paper bag who has to drink it in the morning to survive. And 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 there is that. But also there are people who don't have to drink in the morning. But the evening rolls around and their body starts to give them all these signals and cues that says time to drink alcohol. Like Mm -hmm. that is a version of physical dependence because your body chemistry has changed because of regular use of this substance and training it to do so. And it's like once you frame it that way, you're like, oh, that's really – I don't like that. That doesn't doesn't feel good to think about. But I think – and for me, you know, I quit drinking – almost five years ago and was like very much in alcohol use disorder. And I knew I wanted to stop and I knew I wanted to, I knew I had to. And speaking of mental health, postpartum depression was, Mm -hmm. was my bag Mm -hmm. and nothing clicked like the neuroscience clicked. When I learned how my brain was working and how it made a lot of sense that by five o'clock I was so fried and I was so shot. And the only thing that was helping me was alcohol because of what I trained my body to do because of my neurochemistry. That was like the light bulb that changed everything for me and finally got me to, to where I am now. And I think that it's so powerful to understand how our bodies work. And we talk about this idea of when you were younger and growing up in an alcohol-free house and the way we teach our young kids about alcohol. And I'm like, there's so much that we're missing about giving them all of the information that they need to be able to make informed choices. And of course, a, a 22-year-old or a, you know, an 18-year-old, they don't have a fully formed brain to be able to make like fully rational adult choices. And Mm -hmm. we know that because of brain science, but even like, I think if somebody had explained it to me in this way and, and I, I didn't have the language for mental health when I was younger. So I don't know if I would have still connected the dots or not, but just to understand like what is actually at work in my physical body, because I was just told don't drink alcohol because you're going to get pregnant. Don't drink alcohol because you're going to get a DUI. So to think about like, if we were to teach people differently when they're younger and give them all the tools they need. I don't know. So I'm like, where do you see drinking culture for young people going? Like we talk about college, this is so normalized. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that sounds just like my college experience a decade ago. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's any change there? Do you think there's any possibility that we'll look at this differently in a decade? Yes. And I think, I think there is a big movement of younger people. There's an obsession with wellness culture, as we all know. Mm -hmm. And I think there's so much emphasis on health and like, you cannot really have peak health if you're drinking alcohol, like period. And I, 
even if it's a beer a week, like you can, Mm -hmm. you are drinking a toxic chemical. And I think as more and more respected, because one of the other things, like one of the other sources of information I got it from was people that I really respected on like health podcasts and information or like Mm -hmm. podcasts about like being your best self. They're like, I don't drink Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z. And so I was like, wow, I really respect you. And I actually want to make a TikTok about this, but I really Mm -hmm. respect you and like your belief on brain health or your belief on like Mm -hmm. wellness and you're not drinking. So like, I like- Probably Mm -hmm. I shouldn't also be drinking. (laughs) Putting those dots together. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's going to come out more and more. I also think there is like I am seeing a shift and an interest from young people of like you said, the damp lifestyle. And it's like of people being like, can we stop pretending like this is the most important Mm. life changing thing in our lives? And Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that frustrates me. So a couple of things that frustrate me so much about drinking. One is and this I will caveat and say that obviously my dad is sober through AA. And I know it's Mm -hmm. an incredible resource for a million people. I absolutely support everything they do. And I think it's amazing. However, I do challenge their beliefs a lot because that's kind of what I like to do personally is like (laughs) find the different arguments to things and poke holes and things and understand Mm -hmm. it better. But one of the things I think um, you kind of just touched on is like the more we get an understanding of how toxic and addictive alcohol as a chemical is, the more we can take the blame off the individual and put it back on the chemical. And I think that is one thing that I never resonated with, with the AA teachings. Mm. I was like, I have enough guilt and shame in my own head. Like (laughs) I don't need to go to a meeting and have other people like tell me that I'm terrible. And so that was like one thing for me, but I feel like young people, the more we talk about that, the more it'll resonate with young people because Right Mm -hmm. now there is, that is kind of one of the biggest resources out there is AA. And so Mm -hmm. if you are interested or curious and you look, you immediately get scared away. And the more Mm -hmm. people like me and like Millie are talking about this in this kind of like fun and colorful and welcoming way, I think the more people who would have maybe gotten deterred originally will come into the conversation. But yeah, the other thing I think is the more we learn how absolutely terrible alcohol is as a chemical the more the culture will change and I mean you see Mm. a huge shift like for me I I'm like an aesthetic Instagram girl like through and through and so one of the biggest things I was like dang like my cute glass of wine in my pictures like it's like that culture is so predominant but we're getting more and more like cute non-alcoholic drink choices Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. aesthetic bars that have non-alcoholic drink menus and things that make you feel like you're not missing out on anything. You're like actively choosing not to partake. And I think that Mm -hmm. is a big thing to get young people because Mm -hmm. young people just don't want to be included and they don't want to Mm -hmm. feel left out. And so not being a part of drinking culture can feel really isolating and make you feel Mm -hmm. really left out. And so Mm -hmm. I think with like the combination of those things, younger generations are going to start to pick up on like, maybe this isn't for us and maybe things will change. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting to think about Juul and vaping. And I've always said, well, I haven't always said, but (laughs) more recently I've said, you know, I think we're going to look at alcohol the way we look at cigarettes now in like hopefully a decade, maybe (laughs) three decades. I don't know. But then I think about like my generation the way we view cigarettes, like we were never going to be a part of like the vaping culture because like it, it, so I don't know. I'm like, I, I, I'm optimistic that it's going to change, but it's like, man, but then the, the vaping industry came and like screwed it all up. So like Mm -hmm. what's, what's, you know, big alcohol going to do next. But I think what you said about this idea of changing the onus of the problem, quote unquote, from the person to the substance is really important because, and you know, we get this messaging all the time. We get the message of like, quote unquote, please drink responsibly as if it's the person's responsibility to Mm -hmm. adapt to a chemical substance that is highly addictive, that is a neurotoxin, that is all these things, that it's the person's problem if they cannot, quote unquote, drink responsibly. But the more we know about the science of it, we're like, well, no shit, none of us can drink responsibly yeah. because like, this is, this is the way this works. But so, you know, I see the, the youths on TikTok with, you know, their damp lifestyle and, and, and for anybody else who's like, what the fuck's a damp lifestyle? The, they're talking about damp lifestyle is like, you can probably speak to this better than I can, but like 
drinking very unfrequent infrequently yeah uh, like how would you describe the damp lifestyle i think so i feel like there's and i don't know maybe you can speak to this a bit more but my friends and i have talked about this of like this is prefacing my answer but there's a huge binge drinking culture and i feel yes. like there has been a rise in binge drinking culture and i think the extent to which it's appropriate to drink is very high and it's a lot Mm. and it's almost expected that it's a lot and like I don't know if you've seen like the girls on TikTok who are like oh like I'm like a feral in the club like it's just like there's like (laughs) no that that doesn't (laughs) come up on my for you you. Uh, yeah I'm more like I'm more like sober cottagecore um I'm I'm on I'm on gay talk too I'm like yeah I feel like we all are (laughs) yeah but yeah, so there's kind of, there's, there, I would say, and maybe it's just the age we're in, maybe binge drinking has always been a huge thing, but I feel like there's like a huge binge drinking culture. So I think mm-hmm. damp lifestyle is kind of the answer to that. And if I were to say there's a spectrum, I would say that sober is on one end, sober curious is in the middle and damp is like closer to drinking and then drinking is on the other end. Okay. So I think damp means like maybe drinking less frequently, like not drinking for no reason and Mm -hmm. drinking very little when you do drink because Mm. the norm is to drink a lot when you do drink. So I think that's, it's kind of the answer to that. And I think it's great. Mm -hmm. And like, I mean, the, the truth is like people, I get a lot of comments from people in the AA and the fully sober community that are Mm -hmm. kind of, I think they're mad at the fact that like this wasn't a thing when they were going through it, but a lot of them want to be like, well, that's great for you that you get to have this, but like that would have never worked Mm. for me. And like, and so I think there is some like frustration from that community that that people are looking at the spectrum because people want Mm -hmm. it to be like black and white and they want it to be like, Mm. I could have never been different. But I think for all of us, the more that people don't partake in drinking culture, the more that there's more likely to be a cultural shift away from drinking culture. And so that's how I feel about all of it. I could see that. I don't know. I think damp lifestyle is a great, a great movement. And you know, this idea of like, and and I get this in, in sober Instagram too, like there is becoming more nuance in the conversation and the people who have always been here, the people who have always been in the recovery field have been sober. I think there's a sense of like feeling, it feels threatening to their version of doing things that yes. now there are other experiences out there. And I understand. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I empathize that with that. So don't like, like the comments that come in my DMs that tell me I'm going to kill somebody because I'm not doing it the same way as them. But, yeah. you know, I think that there's this, it feels threatening when there is change. But when I think about this idea of the damp lifestyle and even sober curious being its own identity, which wasn't the case five years ago. It's like, we are starting to create more options for people other than you're a binge drinker or you go to AA. Mm -hmm. And what this, like, what I see this doing is when you talk about this idea of like, we have glamorized alcohol and you feel like you're missing out without it. It's like, we can, we can glamorize like sober curious too. Like mm-hmm. that can be really, do you follow thirsty whale? I think it's his handle on TikTok. I, am, I haven't seen. Oh my God. He makes cocktails and mocktails. He partners with ritual zero proof a lot. Oh, and cool. it's so funny, but the way he talks about like, sometimes you just don't want to drink and like those conversations that's new, like that is mm-hmm. new. And I think that's starting to shift the narrative and give people more opportunities to look at this and say, okay, maybe this isn't working for me, but maybe I don't fit over here. Yeah. But maybe I'm like somewhere in the middle and like, how do I make this feel good and fun and mm-hmm. positive for me? And, you know, I think you and I could talk a million years about like the quote you said about like, you can't have this conversation without mental health too. I think yeah. it's so important. And as we are focusing on mental health and that is becoming more talked about and more we're, we're gatekeeping at less, there's less shame around it. Like, mm-hmm. I think that this is all going to start to come together. But I mean, I, I am just fascinated by all of the the things you share and the bravery, because this is a hard thing to talk about, especially when there is such black and white mindsets around this. And I feel very firmly that like the more you share about this and the more you share your experience and kind of this like opting out of what most people are doing in their early twenties, mm-hmm. the more people are going to say, Oh wait, I think I could do that too. 
I see that as an option that I didn't know before. So, Mm -hmm. so I feel that your story is so, so powerful. (laughs) The last question I ask every episode is if your story were to be written into a book, what would it be titled? Oh my God. I'm like, so (laughs) we're curious, but (laughs) that's already taken. Yeah. It's it's got a copyright. (laughs) Um, Hmm. Oh, um, I would say it'd be titled Against the Grain. Mm, I love that. Thank you. Yeah, I think I am very rebellious at heart and (laughs) everything I do is like the response to people telling me I can't do it or like I or someone telling me to do something and me being like, no. Mm. (laughs) So that's I think that's like, honestly, people that are like, this is not something you could talk about. I'm like, you're just feeling Mm. me and I'm going to talk about it more. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I love that. And and I'm the first one to say, like, I believe that not drinking, opting out is an act of resistance. Like that's like my rebellion. It's Mm -hmm. my rebellion against an oppressive system and I'm opting out. And talking, we can talk about language and things like that, both the AA, like the powerlessness never reverberated with me. I'm like, no, I'm really powerful for making this, this decision. So I love that. I love the rebelliousness. I love the rebellion, but Jordan, thank you so much for your story today. Thank you for sharing this like early exiting curiosity experimentation story because I know there's so many people out here who are going to really resonate with this and you will open a door for them by having shared this. I know our people are going to want to connect with you. Where can they find you? What do you have going on in your world? Tell us about your podcast. Yeah. So I have a podcast with my best friend um, and it's called Still No Plan and it's all about trying <laughs> to figure shit out in your 20s. We both mm-hmm. have just felt really lost and we've interviewed a variety of people. Sometimes it's just us, but we talk about career and mental health and just making friends in your 20s. We both live in different cities. Mm. So like, it's just kind of really trying to figure it all out. Um, So yeah, Mm. that's on all podcast platforms. And on social media, it's at still no plan pod. And then you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Jordan Granger. My TikTok is where I share more of my sober content, but I'm starting to move to Instagram reels a little bit as well. And yeah, it's really fun. Give me a follow. You could DM me. I like love seeing when people have heard my content or see my content. Mm. So feel free to reach out if you heard this and resonated. I'm laughing because I'm like, I still am going to listen to that podcast and I'm in my 30s because I still, still no plan. Still no plan. I know. That's still what we say. We're like, yeah. we're like trying to figure out a way of saying it of like, it really is just like any transition time that you're feeling yeah. lost. Like feel free well, to jump in. It's like, I really looked at 32-year-olds when I was younger and I was like, they've got their shit together. And now I'm 32 <laughs> and I'm like, mm, nope, still no plan. Still just figuring it out. Yeah, but totally. All right, Jordan. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you joining us here on the podcast. And yeah. y'all go check out Jordan's content. Her TikTok's fantastic. That's how I found her. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for listening to Sober Stories with me, Beth Bowen, and our guest, Jordan Granger. Anyone else wish they were thinking about alcohol this way when we were 23? I was too busy injecting Everclear into freeze pops for a day at the river, uh, which I do not recommend. Talking with Jordan makes me optimistic that we're really changing the narrative around alcohol one sober curious TikToker at a time. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you took a second to rate and review Sober Stories wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us tell more stories, reach more people, change more lives, one good review at a time. And if you had a big aha moment from today's show, we'd love it if you shared it with us on social media. You can find us at We Are Sober Stories on most platforms. Tag us so we can hear your big takeaways and you never know when we'll send a little thank you. I also want to thank our team here at Sober Stories, Alexis Archuleta on the mixing and podcast genius side. Callie Williams is our community engagement lead. Daniela Marty for our graphic design and every single person who has a hand in what we are building. Until next week, my friends.